Thank you for tuning in. We had a great discussion today with Chad Kleinens, President and CEO of Zwei Group. We discussed many of the major issues and opportunities facing AEC firms and leaders. We start off talking about what it looks like to land your dream job and then get into how Chad and his team have walked the talk in terms of ownership transition and how that helps them serve their clients doing the same. We also talk about the power of communication and why that is the area most employees are dissatisfied with, the options available to all of us to build personal wealth today and what that means for AEC firm leaders, how growth can enhance the best parts of our culture and what specifically firms and leaders need to be doing today to improve and have success moving forward. Toward the end of the podcast, Chad also shares some details about Zwei Group's Elevate AEC initiative and annual event. And although this episode airs after the event, I can assure you it was good. Now in full disclosure, over the last year or so, I have developed a relationship with Zwei Group writing several articles for the Zweig Letter, spoken at, and even sponsored events. I say that only to be completely open and transparent with you, the listener, and commit to always disclosing any relationship I have with a guest on the podcast, if for no other reason than for you to just know where things stand. So without any further delay, let's do it. Welcome to AEC Leadership Today, the podcast designed exclusively for engineering, architecture, and construction industry leaders who want to stay relevant and effective. The show takes on the most pressing issues facing the AEC industry and was created to help you and your firm grow and prosper in the 21st century. The host of AEC Leadership Today is Pete Atherton, a professional engineer and former AEC principal and owner turned AEC coach and consultant. And now, take a break from your never-ending to-do list and welcome Peter Atherton. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another great episode of AEC Leadership Today. Today, we'll be speaking with Chad Kleinens, the president and CEO of Zwei Group. Welcome to the podcast, Chad. Thank you, Pete. Glad to be here. Well, we're glad that you're, you're here to share with us about the AEC industry um, and what's happening at Zwei Group. But um, before we do that, can you tell us a, a little bit about you and how you got to this point career-wise as president and CEO of Zwei and, and um, really what's, what's happening? Sure. So I uh, graduated with a degree in civil engineering and uh, really got into civil engineering because I wanted to become a developer. Uh, But what I ended up doing is following a traditional uh, course of getting out of school and and, uh, getting into the consulting arena and worked for three firms uh, throughout my career before I, I came to Zweig White, that's what the name of the company was at the time, but my engineering career was uh, mainly aviation, transportation-related design work, and some water and some development. I always had an interest in the business side of the profession, and so early on, I became aware of this company called Zweig White and this guy named Mark Zweig. And not too long after I got my professional engineer's license, I noticed that Mark Zweig had moved to my hometown of Fayetteville, Arkansas, which surprised me. I knew that Zweig White was a Boston-based firm. And I met him several years later at a seminar. And I think Right off the bat, I realized that uh, working in a company like this was a dream job of mine. I had been working in a firm that I had helped grow and I I led the marketing and strategy and loved being on that side of the business and and really watching the transformation of the company I I had dedicated 14 years of my career to. The evolution, the growth, and how it enhanced the culture. And so I said to myself, I want to do that over and over and over. And so I joined Mark's White uh, almost seven years ago and interestingly moved back to my hometown. So it was kind of a win-win. Mark had moved here uh, after selling Zweig White and and there was a period of time where it was under different ownership. Then he had an opportunity to buy it back and he did. 
And so that's why it ended up in Fayetteville, Arkansas. So I moved back home and was his successor, uh, a parent. And over the last seven years, we've uh, evolved the business significantly, changed the name to Zwei Group in 2015, really to mark a new era uh, for the company. And then last year, we, uh, I was named officially CEO and we launched our new mission to elevate the industry at our annual conference, which had been named Hot Firm and AEC Industry Awards Conference for 19 years. We launched our Elevate the Industry at that event, and it's been really neat to see how that's taken off over the past year. And here we are just eight business days away from our next big annual conference that we have renamed Elevate AEC. And I'm excited to report that it is the largest audience ever to assemble uh, to, at an event, at a Zweig event in history. We are at 350 and still climbing. So very excited. Yeah, I'm excited for it. I mean, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be there. And I was very impressed with Hot Firm in Dallas too. But I, I mean, before, and I, I, I definitely want to talk about Elevate the Industry and what you have planned for for the event uh, coming up in, in Las Vegas. But what, talk about when you, I mean, you work with larger firms and, and um, smaller firms practicing and got an MBA and, and saw firms grow through M&A and probably a lot of the sort of the, the business aspects. But when you came back and, and what, what made, what gelled as far as becoming the apparent successor and then kind of working through that pro process over seven years? Because obviously a lot of firms are dealing with that succession planning and identifying who might be the successor and what the on-ramp is to be able to do that and, and turn. And so you've, in, in Zwei Group, does a lot of consulting with firms. So can you talk about what it was like to sort of be identified as, well, you're the successor and, and what that sort of process looked like from the inside knowing that you also consult firms on this? Did it help or was it still um, you really know by going through it? Well, yeah, interesting. So, yeah, I would say that, that one of the original services of this company, if you go all the way back 31 years ago when it, Mark Zweig founded it in Boston, uh, ownership transition was one of those consulting or advisory services that, uh, will always be needed. And so the company has been successfully guiding firms through that process for over 30 years. So really has built up quite a bit of intel through stories and examples. And, you know, a number of those were highly complex and challenging. Every single one is different. So there's no, there's no formula for, for it other than you've got to start early. You've got to invest in those that are going to be taking the reins and making sure all of the moving parts are moving in and set up for whatever the eventual transition is and that you don't give yourself too little time but also that you don't give yourself too much time there's really a sweet spot once you start that process but right, i would because say because it is because it is decisions have to be made um Absolutely. moving forward. So if, if the two parties are there so long, which I, I know firms, firms struggle with, within that sense. And so, I mean, do you feel as though, um, did you know for six or seven years that this was the process and, and you were able to, you know, take on new initiatives and, and be invested in and, um, you know, as you were walking through and, and I guess, you know, was it also helpful that maybe this was the second time Mark had done a transition. And so you had that much more information uh, to, to deal with and, and experience on, at, at the table. Yeah. Well, so interesting. So, so you're right. It is the second time that company's gone through a transition, but the first time was through an external sale. And so this being an internal transition, it's the first time we've done that. So now we've, the company, that advises companies on both of those things now has gone through both of them. Sold, bought back, and now internally transitioned. So we can now say uh, very clearly, we've gone through all of the options pretty much that you've got. 
Right, so, truly, truly able to walk the talk, you know, in, in both senses, right, yeah. Yeah, and I think that experiencing it ourselves gives us a stronger empathy for those in the trenches of the process. It's probably best illustrated in the difference in sympathy and empathy. You know, I, th- I would say previously we brought insight, expertise, and sympathy to help guide leaders through the process. Now we bring and empathy that is rare to find. I mean, the reality is that many consultants, they teach or lead firms through things that maybe they've never actually experienced firsthand. Maybe they were a part of, but to actually go through it. Why? Because, you know, something like this, an internal transition, I mean, how, how many times does a person go through that, like become the CEO? You know, maybe once maybe twice, but, but most people don't actually go through that. So I do think it further furthers our differentiator as an advisor to the industry because our approach has always been rooted in data and stories. And those are factual events that had a clear problem solution outcome. And that's what we use to help firms through this. And of course, as I said earlier, everyone is different, including ourselves. So going through this ourselves, it's a whole new experience. Um, right. And, and all, that, all that, so that as a great foundation, is there now, you know, um, more than a year into the official transition or maybe even it's push, pushing closer to two years. Is there anything that, that you, even with all your vast amount of knowledge, is, is there, are there things that you wish you knew before the transition that now that it actually happened that, you know, would better prepare you? Because you can prepare, but I guess it is walking through the process that, you know, is the ultimate preparation. But I guess any, any, uh, any like, wow, these one or two things, if I really understood them a little bit better, then we could have done, you know, something smoother or faster um, or been able to come out the other side looking a little differently? (laughs) That's a good question. I would say something that we wish we knew or or maybe even just the expectation might have been clear. I would say not recognizing how hard it would actually be on, on the individuals, me and Mark, and what it's like to step into the role, what it's like for somebody who has been at the helm of a company that is something he created and has made a mark on the industry, how, what that's like to let that go even slowly. And, and, you know, the effects on the firm too, because I think doing this for other firms for 30 years provides a strong understanding of the mechanics but to think that it might make it easier or quicker for us, it just doesn't pan out, right? And so going into it, it's the first time Mark or I have ever gone through an internal transition of this magnitude ourselves. So it wasn't quicker or easier. Even though we had stepped so many companies through it, had navigated situations far more complex than what we have, and it's because Every company's different. And when you add the emotions and you actually are going through it, that's where things get complicated. Right. And I would think, you know, the emotional perspective. So, I mean, it definitely, you know, I was curious, like you brought it up, like step it into a founder's shoes. I mean, a lot of firms are transitioning you know, into the second generation of ownership and, you know, someone's name is still on the door, so to speak. And, and there's a lot of work and sweat and, you know, everything that someone put in or a group of partners put into building a business now is transitioning. And there probably is a lot of emotion. It's like a member of the family, you're sort of selling it or giving it away. But if you're transitioning, well, you're probably sticking around for that sweet spot. And so there probably is a high level of emotional intelligence and, you know, being able to understand emotions and think logically and, you know, as you go through that process. So I'm sure there's a lot on the founder side, but I mean, even probably talk to me about, you know, your sensitivity to understanding, you know, kind of something that he built and, but yet for a period of six or seven years, you were sort of building it together and growing and expanding it. But, but there's got to be that line of sensitivity, but then taking over the reins. Right. It probably goes back to sympathy and empathy. I think now that we're going through it ourselves, we get to experience all of it, including the emotions at the same level 
as our clients. We, we are not immune to it. It's not easier for us just because we've taught it. Certainly, we know the best of the best practices, and we've tried to work that into the transition. But, but being empathetic to what our clients are, are going through, which we're now empowered to do, from my end, being sympathetic to what it's like to be in Mark's shoes, right? And, and imagine what it's like to let go and making sure that we, we navigate and manage the relationship very carefully. And we don't let the pendulum swing too far to the other end, as we say, you know, this is what the transition looks like and we've got to do th these things. And then we don't do certain things too fast or too abruptly. And then also we don't drag our feet on other things because one of the things that I think is most difficult for organizations that are going through this, and, and I'm speaking to the rest of the organization, is understanding who's in charge. And that's why you've got to manage the timeline and the communication and the message very carefully. And because transitions can be very traumatic for the company. Mm -hmm. and, and one thing that we pick up in our data that I think a lot of firm leaders don't recognize is, is how if like there's an imminent transition of a leader coming, how that really creates anxiety in the lower levels of the staff far beyond what leaders recognize, right? And that's why when they drag their feet and as that timeline gets closer and closer, it's surprising how sensitive the rest of the organization is to, well, what's the plan? right? They want to know, they want to feel informed. And I think that's why leaders, there's any advice I can give them is they need to have, they need to start really early. I mean, if you're waiting till five years before you transition, you've waited too late. And that surprises some firm leaders to hear that. They think, wow, five years, that seems like a long time. What about, I mean, if so, if people know the plan, but, but something's happening, you know, maybe every week, certainly every month with the transition and, 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 and shifting responsibilities, what, what about advice for the communications, you know, whether it be week to week or month to month or event by event, you know, just so you know, we're, we're planning this event here and, you know, this is where Chad is doing this, where Mark used to do that or, you know, founder X used to do this and now successor Y is doing that. I mean, is there any, now that you've gone through it, any specific or amount of communication um, that you would suggest? And it was, you know, until your board telling the story, keep telling the story, or even when your board say it twice as much. I mean, what, what, what do you think as far as communication of status of things, not just that it's happening, but kind of as it's happening? In, in every case I've seen, and I could say it, it, even in our own case, more communication, more is better. You know, it doesn't matter how great of a firm we are working with. It could be the number one best firm to work for in North America. Always, in every employee survey, the one area that employees are always least satisfied with is communication, right? And I think it's even more critical during a time of transition. And in all of those examples you just provided, you know, leader X is doing this and leader Y is now doing that. And, and being clear with who's doing what and who's in charge is, is very important. And even like man, down to managing uh, meeting dynamics, you know, there's a point where somebody has to stop coming to meetings because if that founder's in the meeting, then everybody's going to look to him or her for a final decision, even if, you know, there's somebody else in the room with the title CEO, right? So it's, there's so many complexities to it. And, and when I say you've got to start planning seven, 10 years out, that's especially true if you've got a large ownership state that you're looking to transition. Um, I'm definitely not suggesting that you're actually transitioning the role for seven years. I'm talking about preparation and developing a plan and, and what that's going to look like. The transition itself is usually six months to a year. I mean, of, of actual transitioning duties. It can be shorter and it could even be longer, but the problem is when it's longer, um, you do introduce more uncertainties and difficulties in who's doing what 
and it's a long time to be communicating all of that stuff and and transitioning things normally you want to be efficient there right but i, I almost think you know we, we, in a way we're we might be trained for that transition on a short term if you think about it you know a principal transitioning a project to a project manager or a project manager transitioning a project to a, a lead project engineer and like okay we won the project where the first few meetings were kicking off and the principal's starting off and then we want to slowly transition so when a question comes up the principal needs to learn to bite their tongue and the manager kind of work it out ahead of time. The manager sort of steps up and addresses the question first. And you, you know, you, you can almost plan it out ahead of time so that it looks very seamless in front of the client. And so, you know, just as far, you know, then we get up to the upper levels and we're transitioning a company. I mean, I, I don't know, what, did you have a little huddles with, with my, I'm mean, just envisioning huddles that I had with, with teams where it's like, okay, the, this, the after meeting three and four, this is where, I will not answer first. I want you, you know, did, did you find yourself sort of strategizing before meetings that something similar or, um, or do you have another technique where you could say, okay, we have to adjust our roles and so that it, it's now evident to everybody else what, what we're planning. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, now, now did we follow our own advice and agreement once we got to the meeting? Not always, but but certainly there, there have been, especially meetings where you're talking about all hands meetings or, or something where you're talking about strategy of the company and you've gathered people there together. Unity is so critical and, and that, that people can sense that both the, the, the leader that's transitioning out and the leader that's transitioning in are unified. That's critical and they've got to manage that relationship and, and stay close together because if they don't, that's, that's where, uh, well, the, they will have problems, but then also the organization feels it, you know, 10 X. Right. All right. So we talked a little bit about succession planning as far as what do you see as some of the real, um, other sort of hot items that, that the leaders of, of the A, in the AE industry are facing today? Yeah, I, I think, they when well when we talk about succession i think that leaders need to understand their options and how options are changing uh and you just think about where we are today and the options for people to build personal wealth through ownership have changed drastically you know you go back 30 40 years ago and a firm leader sitting down with a, a junior level performer and saying hey, we want to offer you uh, $50,000 uh, worth of stock or X number of shares of stock in this company. And, and you go back then and ensure that that employee could call a stockbroker and could buy stock, but it's, it's the, the options for owning something are so much easier today, right? Mm -hmm. So back then people were just like, sign me up. Today, uh, we've got individuals, we've, we've got a, a, a generation of people that see all of these options. I grew up with the internet and that employee can sit there across that desk in that chair and say, well, what are the restrictions on this stock? And the firm leader says, well, here are the restrictions. And they can say, well, you know what? I'm going to right now just buy a thousand apples, uh, shares of Apple on my phone, right? And they can own a thousand shares of Apple before they walk out of the office. And then they can share, sell those shares tomorrow and make a profit if the stock goes up overnight. So people have more options and those options can now compete with leaders trying to sell their stock internally. And so that's why the internal demand for stock is so critical for any company going forward. So you have to make sure that the, the leader needs to make sure that the, the organization is attractive enough financially and you know, in, in, from a business perspective that people want to buy that stock. Absolutely. And, and for the leaders that, and we work with plenty of them where we start, we start an engagement and they don't, they don't see the, the value of investing in growth, for instance, maybe because they think it's going to going to erode their culture. And of course we immediately come back and say, Hey, look, in nearly every example that we've, we've ever been a part of, growth actually enhances the best, best parts of your culture. 
but they well, gives gives opportunities for people right and it's not you know just have to wait for someone to retire or leave the organization because if you grow you create opportunities for people to move up um, right. even while others remain in the organization right but they also they, they say it's a 30 person firm and they they're like I, you know it's got a family feel you hear that and i can't imagine it feeling like a family at 100 and i'll say hey i'm working with firms right now that are 750 employees that have the best family feel you've ever felt. And so, so those arguments don't hold a lot of water. It's, it's, it's important to recognize though, all of these options that are out there and you've got to make your firm attractive. If you lose the internal demand for stock, you lose a lot of options for transition, obviously not that they're all bad. So, leaders have got to balance like the stockholder agreement and how much power is in the company's hands versus how much power is in the, in the uh, stock owner's hands, making it just enough to where the company is protected. Right. But that also the, that the employee has enough flexibility that they don't feel like once they sign up for the stock, they're locked in forever and they have no options, even if they have some catastrophic family personal event that happens or whatever. Um, I would also say that firm leaders need to recognize that they have more options than they often consider. For instance, growth through internal, internal transition is not always the best for a company or the employees. You know, maybe being bought or sold uh, is a better option, although that tends to carry a stigma in this industry. And I think it's incredibly unfortunate and frankly, somewhat of an uninformed opinion uh, sometimes joining another firm is precisely the best option for preserving culture and providing the best opportunities for employees to grow and prosper. Unfortunately, some view it as the last option or the last resort, as though it is giving up, right? Um, and it's just not the case in this industry. There's so many examples. I mean, many, many examples of highly successful transitions through acquisition. So, Again, it's one of those things where firms, leaders have got to have an overall strategy of what they're trying to do with the company and they stay true to that. I was going to say, but almost like what the vision is for the organization, where they want to go, because if, if they're, if they know what they want, what, what they want to invest in, where they want to go, even if, you know, some markets, some opportunities, how they want to develop and be able to grow their staff and they meet someone else, another firm, and they actually have very much in common. And, and there's a very much a, a relationship as well. Together, we can create something greater. I mean, there is those opportunities. And, and I guess it, it probably comes down to the awareness, you know, so the organization, organizational awareness leaders have, and the relationship leaders have, and their willingness to engage with other firms and leaders, because it might be very um, synergistic in a way, and it may allow, you know, growth to happen in greater proportions. You can have talent in one sense that really complements talent in another. So, I mean, it could be good for everybody. It's just probably, it takes a little bit more work to really kind of work the cultures together. And, um, but then again, anything that's really good long-term takes an investment. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I'll tell you, that's really why, I love what I do so much and why the people that make this company up love what they do so much. It's because, you know, the, the leaders of these firms, engineers, architects, environmental scientists, oh, surveyors, uh, they didn't have this type of training in school. It wasn't a part of the programs. Now I went of course after and got an MBA and that was, for me, that was a great, way to, to balance me out, but, but to come in and be able to help these firm leaders see all these other options and kind of see that, wow, I didn't, you know, you're right, this is such a better option for us. And, and then to see them take a path where they're far more happier than if they had gone down, you know, one of the few paths that they see just out of, that they gain out of their experience uh, is something that is, so rewarding for us. And, and that's really, again, part of our mission, always has been from the beginning, the core of this company is helping firms and leaders be more successful. We see that evolution as Elevate the Industry is, is continuing that. Right, now, and, and I guess I, 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 
as, as much as a leader really understands and has communicated the vision and the organization has bought into it, I guess if there is an opportunity, whether it be through M&A or, you know, acquiring or, or being acquired or merging, or if it's through succession planning, the fact that, hey, we've made a decision, we've looked at the options, and this one is best for these six reasons, eight reasons, and it, and it aligns with things that, well, we've been listening to this for 10 years, five years, mm-hmm. three years. Okay, this really fits. It's not just, you know, sort of a, a last minute decision, and now we're, we're going to have to react to it. If, but I guess it, it gets to your original point of the longer you start with the succession planning, no matter what the exit strategy is or the, or the, or the next step, the more you communicate that and the more awareness people have, you know, if it's a fit, if it's a fit, and, and people will recognize that. Yeah, and, and kind of going back to your original question, you know, some of the top issues, challenges industry leaders are facing right now, uh, you know, ownership transition, leadership transition has, has been in the top three, actually, for the last three years in a row from our research. And, and our research has grown so much over the last several years. I mean, it's, it was really one of the original uh, businesses or, or facets of this company that was really new to the industry. And that was like data specific to architecture and engineering firms. So I group was a pioneer in that. And now we are up to 2.3 million data points annually. And that's a lot. And, and ownership transition made its way into the top three several years ago. And the reason was, is during the recession, many owners uh, put, hit the pause button on their transition plans. And then you come out of the recession and valuations of firms have jumped up. And unfortunately, they could not stop the aging process. So now they have fewer options on the table because they've aged. The, the people in the firm uh, have aged, but also the firm valuations have gone up so much. Sometimes there's not enough resources internally to be able to buy out a founder. And, and I will say just the, the other top responses, number one, which has been number one now for three years in a row, recruiting and retention of good employees, number one challenge. Anytime we're in a seminar, I don't even have to say that. I can say, what is the top challenge you're facing? And everybody in the room in unison says recruiting and retention. Um, Secondly, is managing growth and profits, which is a good problem to have, obviously. Post-recession, firm valuations, firm performance, and and actually return on owner's equity is at historic highs that we've never seen in 30 years of research. It's a good problem to have, but what it's doing is it's causing firms to be highly reactive and, and really focusing on you know, what do we have to do to get the job done today versus that long-term vision of what are we trying to do? Executing those strategic plans, that is eroding, you know, and firms are having more difficulty with that. And do, you our, think, do you think that is that there's a disconnect possibly between, you know, what leadership is concerned with and what employees are concerned with for that, that it's, you know, there has been a lot of, you know, we we want ownership transition and succession planning and, you know, for all great reasons, because for, you know, leaders have put a lot in, particularly founders and partners into these firms and they've built them, they've withstood the recession and, and, and they're at a place where they have a high amount of return on equity and they're looking to transition into the next phase of their life. And, and all that is, is good. Do you think that by over the last few years, because we went from a recession to a boom time, um, that in by and large, a lot of what I hear is we, well, we're really kind of busy on the urgent and we're not really thinking long-term strategic or we thought about it, but we're really not implementing. Do you feel as though there's a disconnect in organizations right now or in the industry with what sort of some leaders and managers are looking for? I mean, lead, some leaders and managers and engineers or architects versus what top leadership is concerned with? Yeah, you know, I would say yes and no. I, I think that if there's, there's a, like, if you think about the benefits of the, the current generation that's coming on board, they are, they are actually far more sensitive and aware of kind of like the long-term vision of the company. They care about it more than I think previous generations did. It, previously, it was kind of left up to the, to the top of the org chart. So now, and I think it's a good thing, I think 
organizations uh, at all levels, you see the concern and interest in the long-term strategic plan. Uh, but where they're all suffering from the same thing right now, that is all levels of the organization are busy. And so progress on longer term strategic initiatives is, uh, seems to be decreasing and, and we can see it in, in various data points. One of them is marketing and business development, which was the top challenge of principles for many years. And as you can imagine through the recession and then even coming out of the recession through 2016, that was the number one challenge. Well, in 2017, it completely fell out of the top five. And that gave me concern. You know, I, I want marketing and business development always to always be seen as a challenge. And the reason is I want people to always see that as something we've got to manage, increase, scale with the rest of the company. And it did not make its way back into the top five until this year, the data that we just got this summer, marketing and business development came back into the top five. And actually, is it number three? I think that recognizes that, that leaders are going, hey, you know, we've been really busy. We've been trying to get the work done. Maybe we're more aware of a potential change in the economy. And so we've got to get back to the marketing and business development efforts to make sure that pipeline is full. Um, I'd say for four years in a row, the proportion of marketing staff to the rest of the organization has dropped from one to 27 to now it's down to one to 38. And that also gives me concern that, that sure we're adding staff that can do billable work, but we also need to be adding that those key marketing and business development uh, professionals that are helping us keep that pipeline full, you know, making sure that we're, that effort stays high. And, and as the organization grows, we scale that effort. So we don't find ourselves in some uh, either economic condition where uh, the, the pipeline of work gets shut off for us, or because of our own lack of effort, we shut it off ourselves. And I've told some firms, hey, based on your data, you're actually going to create your own internal recession. It's not even going to matter what's happening out in the economy because your business development efforts have dropped such, your dollars of proposals have dropped. That's going to catch up with you very soon. So I understand you've got to get the work done, but you've also got to figure out a way to maintain that marketing and business development activity. It's a critical investment. Right. And I would think moving forward, I mean, marketing and, and branding and being known and known for something which is different and unique, um, not just a little incrementally better than the competition. I mean, there's a whole strategy in that too, which I would think is a, is a, is, is a different type of investment. It's, it's, a, it's a new level investment in kind of thinking about the firm of the future and, and what to do, which, but if, if the trends are back up, on the marketing and the business development side, that probably helps. But what, what, what do you see as trends on the talent side? So you mentioned recruitment and retention. I mean, it, it just similarly, um, y as you need work in a recession, you kind of need your talent too. I mean, do you see any changes? Is it just we need talent to withstand the, the work we have? I mean, is, are there any other trends in recruitment and retention that you, you see from a, not just a short-term billable hours, we need to get the work done, but a long-term strategy with um, recruitment and retention? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the number one trend is it's, it's incredibly difficult. Uh, executive search and recruiting is one of our advisory service areas, and it was really one of the first uh, areas of the company, if you go all the way back 30 years ago. And, and it was because this company was founded on helping firms grow. So what did we do? We had an executive search and recruiting area and we had an M&A area. So we helped firms grow through uh, acquiring individuals and entire firms. The, uh, the recruiting and retention of individuals has gotten extremely difficult. So what has that done? It's actually fueled the interest in acquisitions, right? Um, I can buy an entire company of people and, um, but that's really not going to go away. 
the, I think that even in a, in a recession, I mean, certainly maybe some of those pressures are going to cool for some companies, but the reality is that the needs of the world of infrastructure here in North America and, and really what you see is, is the schools graduating engineers or surveyors or architects or whatever it is that, that we have got a talent shortage right now that's not going to get any better. I think that firms to be more competitive in the recruiting and retention arena, they've got to recognize what today's employees really care about, especially the millennials, which there's a lot of interest and, and really a, even anxiety of the new generations coming on board. I don't think it's anything new. I think generations before us probably worried about the generation that followed them. So that goes back to the beginning of time. I don't think millennials or, or any of the, the current generations that are coming on board are, are any different in that regard, other than they are unique in who they are. They care very much about a, a company that has a strong mission and purpose and that's why this year at Elevate, we're, we're bringing Savage Brands on. They're going to talk about uh, their business is helping mission-driven organizations and helping organizations develop that mission because it is such a huge competitive advantage. Um, and, 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 you know, so firms that have that vision and also firms that are a great place to work and can prove that. Maybe it's through an, an award like our best firms to work for. But, but some kind of like good housekeeping seal of, you know, this firm is treating its employees well. They've got a good training and development program. So training and development now is the number one benefit that is sought out by employees in the AEC industry. You know, you go back through years of the data and you could see at times it was health insurance, it was bonuses, it might have. Heck, at one time it might have been, you know, um, company cars. Who knows? But but those top benefits that that employees care about or, or strive for, it's now training and development. So having a good, a real uh, training and development program that that employees can see and understand and see their part in is is also something that I think gives firms a competitive advantage right now. Do you see any, any specific, like this type of training and development is, it didn't really exist five years ago or was very infrequent 10 years ago, but are there top firms? Is there any specific type of training and development programs being developed or uh, approaches that, that you've seen sort of in this, this new era of really focusing on the training and development? Yeah, I would say that, that if there's any trend, it's, um, a broadening of interest. In other words, certainly employees, if you go back 20 years ago and you say, would you like training to help you in your current job? Of course, yes. Whether that's AutoCAD or, uh, you know, or go back even further drafting or, or, you know, whatever it is um, specific to their job. Now it's, it's broadened and it's, and Hey, it, it bodes well for our organization because we've always been more on the, the, the business side of it. So employees really have a lot of interest now in marketing and business development. And I think the reason for that is, is because you'll find a lot of the purpose and the, the culture is, lives in that area and, and marketing is highly uh, influential and a part of designing, you know, how the firm looks and feels to the outside, but also to the inside. So employees want to learn more now about how do I manage my projects, but also how do I manage profitability? How do I get out there and sell more? How can I be a better leader? So what, that's what we're seeing a lot of interest in is kind of a broadening of the subjects. And again, for us, it bodes well for us. And that's really why one of our big uh, investments this year has been in training and development. And this rehired SMPS's chief learning officer earlier this year, uh, Marcy Thompson, and she's uh, bringing uh, structure and scalability to our training and development program here that I think will really start seeing a lot of benefits in, in 2020. I think we're already seeing it in uh, our record numbers for our annual conference this year, but 
for us, it's a, it's a huge strategic priority so we can provide firms the external resource. And while firms do that though, they also need to develop their own internal resources and make sure their own people are mentoring, providing courses, and, and making sure the company is progressing and developing both the individuals, the teams, and the whole company. Right. And I think it's a, it's a good thing for the individual. It's a good thing for their teams, for their leaders, for their organization, and for the industry that people want to be trained in development, developed. And that development is also focused on marketing and branding and business development, because there really is an entrepreneurial shift. It's more yes. of a societal shift. And it's not just the millennials. It's, it's, I think people, maybe it's because the, re, the great recession is, you know, we, we all remember it. And so we, people want to connect the dots with the value, um, what we're doing and the value it produces and how that produces value moving forward. So I think that's, you know, it, it, it's a positive trend, but we, we do as leaders need to react to that trend and, and provide what's being offered because if we don't, someone else will and, you know, people will move. So what I did want to, you know, as we're sort of wrapping up, I do want to spend some time and talk about Elevate the Industry because it's a, it's a number of initiatives that you've put together that really, I think, um, speak to where the industry is sort of already heading and where it's likely going to go and, and just to be high, highlighting what's happening. So could you share kind of the concept of Elevate and, um, and, and, and what you're doing to sort of help advance the industry for, for all the AE firms? Sure. Yeah, you know, I think, so if you go back and just, just a quick history of the company, uh, founded 31 years ago, uh, really, we were one of really only two companies that, that did what we do. And, and both companies were started, I think, pretty close to the same time. And, and, and so the resources that, that firm leaders had as a result of the, the growing and evolution of our company, uh, it, it, it helped firm leaders manage the firms better. It create, created awareness of all of the business uh, issues that they need to be aware of and, and ways to combat the challenges. And, and so the firm's mission was uh, making firms and leaders more successful. Essentially, that's what the mission was. And, and we delivered on that and the firm grew. And, and then as we were considering the next era, you know, Mark Zweig, kind of an icon in the industry, uh, transitioning out and and what does this company look like going forward I was trying to think about how does that what's a bigger platform for that what's a bigger benefit to this company being created 31 years ago developing these resources that the industry never had and how do we take that to the next level and I was I was asked in a, in a meeting by actually it was Mark's brother John Zweig and he asked me, he said, Chad, what do you want to do with this company? And I was not prepared for the question, just some simple question like, what do you want to do with this company? And really without thinking, I said, I want to elevate the industry. And uh, John's got a long, uh, very impressive background uh, working with uh, all forms of consulting firms, but especially in the marketing and branding space. He was the former chairman of WPP Group. And, and so his expertise is, is tremendous. And, and, and immediately he latched onto that and we, we kept talking about it. And I said, well, it really started probably about 15 years ago. I was uh, our chief strategy officer for the company I was in before. We were a large engineering firm. We were growing significantly. And one of the things we did was a monthly lunch with the new engineers, surveyors, and other staff that we had hired. And we were all gathered around. There was probably eight of our new staff in there. And, and it was me. I was in there along with the CEO of the company, Brock Johnson. And he looked at the group and he said, you know, they don't make television shows about engineers and architects and surveyors and construction observers like they do policemen and firemen and lawyers and emergency rooms. He said, but what we do is so important to the world 
And I was struck by that statement, you know, and I was like, you know, it really is. But so much of the world doesn't really fully understand what we do, yet we create pretty much everything around everybody, every street, every building, every park, um, uh, all starts in this industry. It's pretty amazing uh, to the, how the quality of life is affected by us, much like the quality of life is affected by an emergency room surgeon or a police officer. And so we, have, we don't get the mainstream pop culture exposure that other professions get. And so elevating the industry to me was just that, where there's an increased awareness of what we do, where kids in schools, when they go through STEM programs, they actually see the connection between that and an actual career in the industry where we can recruit these kids into the schools and then we can retain them right? Once they get into the industry and people say, I want to be a part of that. It's, there's so, so much meaning behind a career in the AEC industry. And I think this comes at a good time because we are, the, the generations that are coming online right now really do care more about that stuff. So if we can educate them, if we can elevate our firms, we can make more money, we can be more profitable, we can invest in our people more, you know, then we can invest more in our communities. We get more positive exposure. So each firm runs better, you know, is more financially successful, then we get more positive exposure in the community. And, and the quote I used when we unveiled the mission last year, a rising tide lifts all ships from John F. Kennedy. And that's what we imagined. So we started 31 years ago and we've helped one firm at a time and it's scaled up to what we are today. Now we want to scale that up even further where so many firms are operating better. They're marketing themselves better. We're showing off what we do. We're celebrating this incredible work of this profession that it literally elevates the industry. And, and we have the kind of, of image and, and we're able to, recruit and retain uh, better than any industry because I think it's a pretty awesome thing that we've all devoted our lives to. And I just want the world to know that. Well, and it, what, I mean, it, it comes at a, at a great time because I mean, particularly in, in North America, in the developed world, we have aging infrastructure coupled with technological advancement coupled with, interest in people have with redesigning community and building better community and, you know, enhancements in water, enhancements in power. We have smart roads, infrastructure, smart buildings. We have, you know, energy efficiency. So there's so much to do because we're, we're built, we're growing and we're replacing and improving. So it really is because of a convergence mm -hmm. to be able to improve society through design. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's an exciting time, but you know, it's even with the convergence of all of these, I think advantages and natural things that are happening in, in culture and the industry, you know, I, it, it's, it's the, the competition's increasing too. And like what, how kids can see a career path for them is it's, it, that has also broadened where, you know, you go back 30, 40 years ago and it was, you know, you do these things, you, you know, and you maybe you go to college, you get a degree in this civil engineering, you become a civil engineer. Now kids can see a career or they imagine one being a YouTube star, right? Or being an influencer, right? And so we're, we're still competing with pop culture, which is also exponentially uh, increasing its influence. And so I think it's important for us to be real clear and, and intentional about promoting the awesome work that we do. Right. Because we do need to keep that pipeline flowing and, you know, it's a whole nother separate discussion with also widening the pipeline into different areas and segments. So we make sure we maximize equity, um, diversity and inclusion. And so there's all those opportunities too, but I think it's in all of our collective and individual firm best interest to widen that pipeline because we are competing and we are growing and, and the need for our services will likely continue to grow too. 
Absolutely. That, that is absolutely the truth. So, well, this has been great. Um, any, as we close here, anything else you'd like to share or add uh, to help AEC leaders? And, and also, how can folks get in touch with you? Yeah. Well, I think just it, it, right now, I think that clients and organizations, or yeah, organizations need to focus on employee and client experience. We've got to keep our employees and our clients happy. As firms are busy, stats in this area are dropping. And just some of them are like, uh, we do client perception studies for uh, our clients. And their clients are reporting responsiveness and accessibility is dropping, right? And that's been dropping for several years. So the bar is getting lower there. And so I think for the firm that can say, hey, listen, we are, even if we are busy, we are not going to allow our service, our responsiveness, our accessibility to our clients to erode, okay? So it's a real opportunity right now for firms to earn favor with their clients and to better weather any future economic conditions or cycles, right? And then on the other side of that, the employee experience, being a best firm to work for is a huge competitive advantage. As recruiting and retaining the best talent is one of the best keys to success in the industry. I think firms need to provide the training and development because that's what employees want. It's the top strategy for maximizing your favor with your employees. So we need to make sure that we do not, in the, in the hustle and bustle of, of busyness and lots of projects and, and, and awesome opportunities that being busy provides us that we also don't allow the consequences of us taking our eye off this, the long-term strategy, making sure our strategic plans are current and that we are executing them with a systematic approach and making sure that we do not lose sight of that long-term vision uh, because of a short-term focus and we don't let that short circuit that those long-term benefits and then make sure that those employees and clients remain happy and we provide the best place to work. And I'll tell you that if, if you want to know what your clients and employees want, go to the data. It's such a powerful way to see factually what you need to do uh, to improve performance. And that's why we will always be dedicated to the data. And that's why we're scaling up our research business. And, and that's an extremely important area to us and the industry uh, evolving there as a focus for us, especially going forward. Well, excellent. Thank you. And then how, how can folks get in touch with you? Well, they can email me at cec at zweiggroup.com. Zweig Group's all one word. They can call me on my cell phone anytime, 501-551-2659. And uh, I'm always available and, and love talking about the business and talking to to firms about how they can elevate the industry. Our, our website is zweiggroup.com and has a wealth of training resources and surveys that you can purchase to benchmark your firm. Uh, our, again, our registration for our annual conference, Elevate AC, is still open. It's gonna be a great event in Vegas. Uh, we've got a full day pre-conference on M&A, specialty topics, and then two days of, of every topic you can imagine from recruiting and retention to uh, growing your firm through acquisition, strategic planning, marketing, all those topics, accounting, finance, uh, tax credits, you name it. And then we have, we've got a super big party planned for a Friday night where after we celebrate all of the award winners, we're party busing the entire conference to the Beatles Circus Soleil at the Mirage. So it's gonna be a blast. Yeah, sounds sounds like a great time. Well, I, I thank you so much for spending the time with us today to to just to share your insights, your experiences, you know, personally and and you know, in working with others and and really your help to to elevate the industry. You know, I, I really appreciate your time and and um and and like I said, your insights. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right, take care. Well, that's a wrap. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to and rate this podcast on iTunes or whatever platform you listen to the show from. 
There are links on my website and in the show notes to do so. And please share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. It really helps to get us established, and I truly appreciate that. It also helps get the word out so that together we can collectively grow and positively impact the lives of others, both inside and beyond our organizations. So thank you. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of AEC Leadership Today. If you want to stay relevant and effective and take your growth and prosperity to new levels, it's time to take action. To learn more about how Pete can help take you and your firm to the next level, visit www.actionsprove.com. That's www.actionsprove.com. See you next time on the AEC Leadership Today podcast.